to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Hurstwood Properties A Limited and Rossendale Borough Council. The citation for this case is 2021 UKSC 16. And this case that we're looking at this week examines a very clever but somewhat devious scheme designed to avoid the payment of local taxes. The tax is called non-domestic rates, and under Section 45 of the Local Government Finance Act 1988, is charged on any given day if certain conditions are met. One of these conditions that is relevant to this case is that the ratepayer is the owner, where the owner is defined under Section 65 subsection 1 as, quote, the person entitled to possession of a hereditament or land, end quote. The other relevant condition is that the property must fall within a class of properties that is set out in the Non-Domestic Rating Unoccupied Property England Regulations 2008. Basically, this tells us that the rates are charged on all non-domestic properties other than those specifically excluded under Regulation 4. For these proceedings, we are interested in Regulation 4K, which excludes a property, quote, whose owner is a company which is subject to a winding-up order made under the Insolvency Act 1986, or which is being wound up voluntarily under that Act, end quote. Bringing all of this round to the current proceedings, we have the local authorities, Rossendale Borough Council and Wigan Council on one side, and the registered owners of various unoccupied commercial properties on the other. Meanwhile, the actual scheme by the respondent companies relied on taking advantage of those conditions that I just mentioned. A short lease of the unoccupied property was granted to a special purpose vehicle, or SPV for short. Under the first condition, this meant that the SPV technically became the owner and was therefore liable to pay the non-domestic rates. At that point, the SPV was either dissolved or put into liquidation, thus triggering the second condition and avoiding the liability for paying rates. When the councils found out about this scheme, they brought a claim for the unpaid rates. There were two alternative arguments that they relied upon. First of all, they argued that the actual lease to the SPV was ineffective in the sense that it did not make the SPV the owner under the Local Government Finance Act 1988, in line with the 1982 decision in W.T. Ramsey Limited and Inland Revenue Commissioners. In the alternative, they suggested that the so-called corporate veil should be pierced and the SPV should be ignored as per Prest and Petrodell Resources Limited from 2013. The High Court was not convinced by the first argument that related to the statutory interpretation of who the owner was, but did sustain the council's second argument about piercing the corporate veil. When the case was appealed to the Court of Appeal, the councils lost on both of the arguments, and so now they are appealing to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. The justices began by splitting up the rates avoidance scheme into two separate schemes, in order to gain a better understanding of what has gone on. Firstly, we have the so-called dissolution scheme, whereby the SPV incurred liability for business rates, and was then dissolved under the Companies Act 2006. Technically, this meant the property became unowned, or bona vacantia to use the proper Latin term, and passed to the Crown, making the Crown liable for the rates under the Local Government Finance Act 1988. In order for this to work, the local authorities had to not find out about the dissolution until long after it had occurred, 
thus constituting an abuse of legal process and, in some circumstances, unlawful conduct by the directors of the SPVs. Secondly, there was the so-called liquidation scheme, whereby the SPV was put into voluntary liquidation shortly after the lease was granted to it. This would trigger Regulation 4K, and then the liquidation was artificially prolonged for as long as possible in order to keep the SPV alive and avoid paying rates. Again, this falls foul of the law because in Re-PAG Management Services Limited from 2015, this method was declared to be an abuse of insolvency legislation. Both of the schemes have a lot in common. From the description, you can see that they tend to rely on a certain amount of administrative inertia. Furthermore, the leases that were granted to the SPVs were all technically not themselves shams because they did allow the SPV possession of the property it is just that the only aim of the lease was to avoid liability for business rates. Yes, there was a rent clause, but the rent was never going to be demanded from the SPV or paid. Once the full extent of the schemes was explored, it was time to critically examine the two arguments made by the councils. As a reminder, the first argument was that the lease did not make the SPV the owner because of the decision in W.T. Ramsey Limited and Inland Revenue Commissioners from 1982. The idea behind that particular case is that Acts of Parliament should be read in their entire historical context and interpreted so as to give effect to Parliament's purpose, so far as it is possible to do so. All pretty standard stuff when it comes to a purposive approach to statutory interpretation, and here it basically means that courts should look at the types of things that are intended to be caught within the exemption, and then work out whether the facts of this case represent an exemption. Examining the legislative history in this context, it seems that the point of charging rates for unoccupied properties was to discourage owners leaving premises empty for their own financial advantage, with the hope that they would instead make use of the property in some sort of way that would enrich the local community. It is possible to see this purpose furthered in the Regulation 4 exemptions set out in the 2008 regulations. For our sake, we can tell from this that when the owner is defined as, quote, the person entitled to possession, end quote, the point is to encourage the person who can actually do something with the property to bring it back into use. Normally that definition would refer to the person who has the immediate legal right to actual physical possession of the property, but that would frustrate the purpose of the legislation here, because that person would be the SPV, and we've already said that the SPV is not designed as a means to exercise the right of possession whatsoever. To put it another way, if the SPVs did not become entitled to possession, then they cannot be said to have become the owners under the 1988 Act. Instead, it was the companies, who are the respondents in this case, who had the practical ability to re-enter the property, occupy the premises, and make use of it. So it is they who are to be rightly regarded as the owners under Section 65, Subsection 1. Although the councils demonstrated that there is a triable issue on this ground, the justices of the Supreme Court nevertheless went on to also consider the second argument, which, you may recall, was that the SPVs represented a corporate veil, which should be pierced to get at the real owners. The justices commented that often the idea of the corporate veil has a tendency to obscure as much as illuminate, 
as it can be subject to misunderstanding. And this is what the councils have done here with their argument. In the case of Preston Petrodell Resources Limited from 2013 that we mentioned earlier, there is talk of an evasion principle which applies where a person is under an existing legal obligation, which they deliberately evade by interposing a company under their control. The problem here is that technically the interposition of the SPV did not actually evade the enforcement of an existing legal obligation because liability for rates accrues day by day. Thus, before the lease was granted, the respondents were responsible for payment of the rates, and after the lease was granted, the SPV became liable. As a result, the interposition of the SPV was not actually itself an abuse of corporate personality, because the abuse came about in the way that the SPV's liability was handled. Nevertheless, the councils won on that first ground, and that was enough to secure their victory in the case overall. I generally think that this was the right decision. You can tell from the facts of the case that the companies were just not up to any good using these schemes. Of course, that alone is not enough to guarantee their liability, because it's not the job of the courts to plug any loopholes in the law. But it is a good thing if they can apply the law in a way that punishes what is clearly wrongdoing. Perhaps it is a bit harsh that the justices refused to apply the corporate veil to this situation, as the SPVs were clearly a sham, but hearing their explanation is a useful education for us all. Too often the corporate veil is deployed in legal arguments as a bit of a catch-all, when there is an attempt to find companies guilty of some misdeed, but we have to be careful to make sure that this is only going to cover abuse of the corporate personality. Spreading it too far wide risks making legitimate choices about how companies operate unlawful. As for the actual ground that the councils were successful on, it is good to see a broad approach to statutory interpretation that doesn't tie the courts down to a literal interpretation. Naturally, this raises certain alarm bells because we don't want judges going off and finding a meaning that doesn't exist. But in this context, it is fair enough to have an understanding of who the owner is based on the principle that buildings should be occupied wherever possible. The way that I think of this is that there is almost no way that the drafters could have foreseen a situation like this arising, and even if they could, drafting laws in a way that attempts to cover all eventualities would clog up the statute book and make things ten times more confusing than they need to be. In these circumstances, where a party is clearly trying to force open a loophole, it's fair enough that the courts take an approach that closely looks at the purpose of the legislation to see if the loophole can be closed. It might be the case that even bending the language does not achieve this goal, and that is fair enough, there is no way around bad drafting. But if the purpose can be uncovered in a natural way, then it can be an effective way to combat injustice. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks, including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. If that sounds like something you're interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!